Minister, you saw the items. Uh, yes, yes, the, yes. Yes, there's essentially three. The first one, uh, the sector who's just talked to it, uh, that relates to revenue generation. It's a matter that has been on your APP um, 2019 and uh, 2021. Um, where Recording in progress. The need for um, the department to find other revenue generating um, activities uh, to complement. Um, uh, what you receive from the fiscals. Uh, I don't know how sustainable that is if it happens, but we'll leave it to SECDEF and, and yourself, Minister. You know the issues uh, uh, better. And, um, and then there's this briefing on Kubachana and, uh, and, and the reserve council, reserves and other matters. I now hand over to you, Minister. Uh, just to uh, uh, preempt uh, the input and then invite the SECDEF to take us through uh, it, uh, items one after the other. Over to you, Minister. Uh, Chairperson, thank you very much indeed. I had that site and we have discussed the items uh, within the department. Ooh, on item number three, I think uh, SECDEF will, will speak on our behalf. I'm not sure how ready we are to even engage with it because I'm always cautious about uh, getting money to assist in a state activity because it is fraught with um, temptation and uh, and, pit, and pitfalls. But we will talk to it. Um, and then the it is true that the general comfort is around um, uh, it is true that uh, um, uh, we want to 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 ensure that uh, all aspects of defense are in line. But you will also remember that I actually had a very slow start. So part of the reasons why SecDef will talk to the third item, and perhaps even ask you for for you to give us space to develop it better is that we have not really gotten our, our grip into it uh, properly for us to be saying that we can bring you a proper plan uh, with timelines, the house and the wife on it, but he, she will talk to it. So I'd like to leave this in the capable hands of the DevSec at this uh, uh, please chair. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Minister. I've not checked um... Uh, thank you so much, Minister. Uh, the apologies, are there any apologies? My apologies for raising this matter after the, meeting, the Minister has spoken. Are there any apologies, colleagues? Um, good afternoon, good evening, Chair, and good afternoon, Minister, and everyone in the meeting. There's an apology from Ms. Bartlett, Ms. Ngosi, and Ms. Chabeleng. Mr. Sorry, Mr. Chabeleng, the co-chairperson, they're saying um, they are held up in the NCOP plenary. Thanks, Chair. Okay, nice one. They will join us um, along the way. Uh, th thank you very much. Sector, uh, Madam, uh, over to you. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. I would uh, talk to the first item, uh, the one uh, that has to do with the issues of revenue generation in the department. 
Chair, if I may take a step back, um, in 2017, I learned that the department had engaged the services of a consultant um, to actually assist them to look at other ways of how we can uh, generate revenue and faced with the challenge of the consistently declining budget. Now, um, I, I tried to interest myself on the matter, but what uh, I then uh, found in the document was that uh, the main thing there was more around the issues of the reimbursement uh, from the UN. And we know that the issue of the reimbursement from the UN, yes, we do get paid sometimes, but also there were uh, challenges in terms of our agreements and what uh, we were supposed then to be doing as the department to honor the agreement that we had entered into with the UN. So the flow of that revenue wasn't really consistent, but then there were other things that were put there as way of generating revenue. I'll give you an example. For instance, even the UN, we managed to get about 500 million and yet as the department, we had spent more than the 500 million. So we have not even been able to break even from that uh, process. So it clearly shows that it is not a, a, a project that could assist us where we say that we recover our money and get to a point where we generate revenue so that then we can um, at least close the gap in, in the light of the declining budget. Some of the things that we put there was, for instance, we have our own buses within the department, and it was to then say that when we transport our members, they would pay a fee for that. And when you look at it, um, uh, the amount that would be generated there was really too small, no, not to even to recover what we would have paid for the buses. Now, in essence, Chairperson, nothing much had been done actually as a result of that uh, consultancy work being done in taking it forward to ensure that it is implemented. Because then when we sat and looked at everything, there was just no way we can begin to even call it that those are activities that will assist us to, to generate the money. So that is where it is. We There, there has been, even with the subsidiary outfits such as AMSCO, you would recall Chairperson some few weeks back, um, AMSCO had also come before uh, the Joint Standing Committee to discuss on what they were trying to do to see also whether they can uh, generate revenue. But what they were proposing is that they would want to go the route where they sweat some of the assets with the hope that we'll get money. Now we have even, um, and in that uh, meeting, I recall that the minister had also made an intervention to say, look, we are not able to um, get the money that we want from the treasury, but also we have not been able to um, deliver on our defense review of 2015. And now what it does uh, say, a discussion which we had with yourselves a few weeks back, is then to say that given the fact that we couldn't uh, deliver on the defense review, we now have to be led politically to say, where do we want to be in terms of the level of ambition within the department? And once that is a discussion that we would be having and we have finalized at the political level, 
we will then have to uh, look at what it is that we'll do. And that's why it, it was felt that maybe we need to put the discussion on the sweating of assets on hold whilst we then look at that. Because if you are going to sweat your assets now, what then happens um, if we see that some of those assets that we are sweating are assets that would have helped us with the new level of ambition that we would have uh, arrived at. So we thought that it may be premature for us to then jump into sweating assets. But also we felt that it is important to take our executive authority with us so that then when we decide, we then know that we are on the right path and we have taken into account a number of things. Some of those that they had been looked at, Chairperson, it is an issue also we had discussed with yourself was the disposal of some of our assets. Remember that your assets can be there for a particular period of time. And after a while, they lose their value. And sometimes they become uh, obsolete that we can't use them. Now, um, there are two ways of disposing of your assets. One, it is through the normal um, auction process. But when we, uh, uh, for instance, want to dispose of our military vehicles, and you have been on a visit to various sites uh, of our structures that we have a lot of those vehicles, but the process itself is not pretty straightforward in the sense that we have to apply to the NCACC to dispose of those because they are military uh, vehicles and they are covered within the act that we can't just dispose of them like that because there must be also traceability. You can't dispose of them like you would dispose a normal truck or a normal vehicle. So the, it needs to be registered and it will reflect then in the in the asset register of our uh, NCACC. So all those things we, we, we need to really see Jefferson. But I think from that experience, we now know that maybe it may just assist us to say, what are the six or seven big things that we think that if we were to look at them, they will help us to move forward. So that's why um, there hasn't been much progress on that. And I think that uh, it would be appropriate to say, and uh, and maybe the minister may want to talk to that, to say that we it would be better and ideal if the, the department is given a space to really do its work and reflect properly on that. And at the time when we are ready, we can then revert back to <clears throat> to the portfolio committee, but for now, we think that uh, maybe the the matter must uh, be stood down so that then we really do a proper investigation of all these things and see how we can move forward. So, Chairperson, in a nutshell, I think those are the issues that I thought I needed to bring to your attention. That, uh, in actual fact, it wasn't going to be such a simple task as probably uh, was initially thought. And, and I think what I was trying to, to give to you are some of the examples why this is not really a straightforward matter. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Secretary, before I open it up for a reaction, there was an issue of an auctioneer, auctioneer that has been um, uh, in the offing for a very long time. Um, is the matter you are not uh, uh, concluding. 
Um, are we nearer to appointing the auctioner? But I understand the, the, the background that you've just given us. Or you're also dropping that until such time that you have looked at all issues in totality. Yes, Chairperson, if you would recall the issue of the auction uh, company, we, uh, it was an issue that has been looked at as a transversal tender by the uh, Department of National Treasury. But with those auctioneers, we cannot dispose of military hardware through them. We can only dispose of other assets that are not military, but that are utilized within the defense environment. So, for instance, your normal cars and things like that. But once they are military hardware, we then have to follow a completely different process, Chairperson. So once that process has been finalized at the level of the National Treasury, we will surely participate in that one because it also helps us to clean our asset register. Thank you. Sorry, thank you so much, Secretary, colleagues. Um, uh, any reaction? Um, a quick reaction, Mr. Mare. You, uh, I can see you want to say okay. something. Okay. Sorry, any any other? Let me just do that, um, uh, Mr. Mare. Just just hold, please. Bear with me. And uh, yeah. can I have hands? Uh, any other hand? Yeah, Chair, it's it's Mare. It's Doctor S. I saw is. Uh, Honorable Raida and myself. Raida and myself. Okay. Uh, thank you so much. All right, colleagues. Um, the list is uh, Mr. Mare, Dr. Pasopu, uh, Mr. Raida, and the Honorable Tabu. All right. No, no, uh, it's, it's Dr. Esop, not Pasopu. Dr. Esop. Uh, Who is Dr. Esop? Who is Dr. Esop? So um, I'm one of the the commissioners of the Defence Force Service Commission. Oh, I see. I see. Okay, okay, okay. Come again. ESOP. E-double-S-O-P. ESOP. Yes. Maybe let me ask you, Dr. ESOP, to come in before I let the members talk to the issue. Yeah, so I just wanted to add a comment that there are other avenues of revenue generation. So we have an excellent baseline academic uh, uh, sort of foundation within the Defence Force. And if we can team up with the right uh, partnerships, we, we are actually able to offer a very unique uh, academic uh, programs in terms of SAMS, because I, I used to be in SAMS for 10 years. And um, there are certain capabilities that if we develop them further, we are able to market it outside in terms of a proper academic program, not just for South Africans, but also for other countries. So that baseline does exist. And then also improving on our research capabilities. Uh, so there are actually other two areas of revenue generation that can possibly be investigated a little bit more in detail. Yes, I do understand we've got Sultana there, but... Um, but these are specific health-related academic programs that we do offer internally to our members, but there is the potential to grow that into, or there is the potential to monetize some of those aspects. Okay. Thank you very much uh, for, 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 for that suggestion or, or, or the comment. Mr. Maria, over to you, sir. Um, Thank you very much. 
just a comment on the on the on Dr. Isop's uh, uh, remarks. Um, uh, obviously, Dr. Isop has not been part of of any of our discussions in the past, and I think that's a bit not quite in line with what we have discussed uh, for a very, very, very long time. But anyway, it's a comment that is appreciated. I just want to um, mention that, remember auctions of, uh, of obsolete uh, equipment of Defense Force and assets is not a new thing. It has always been a practice in the National Defense Force and the Department of Defense. And in fact, um, we know that there are certain defense industry companies who have specialized on, on buying vehicles and auctions um, and, you know, renovate them, renew them, build them up. And we know that currently many of those vehicles, like Samuels and Rattles, are in the service of Rwanda in Cabo Delgado. So this is not a new thing. This is, this is a, and it sounds like the, from SecDev that this is a new thing that we are approaching and that we're not quite sure how this works. So, so obviously, and we know that up until about 2014, 2013, 2014, um, when uh, the previous chief of the SNDF has decided to stop the auctions and rather get in the Cubans under uh, uh, Tusanu to come and help and start to renovate the vehicle. So it is, it is a normal thing. So I've, I, I, I'm not quite sure. I don't get, you know, the arguments of the SecDef that this sounds to be a new thing and we, we cannot do it and it's a difficult thing. I was under the impression, my experience was in the past, this is a normal thing that can be done like any other government department. Yes, we know that uh, the National Defense Force must go through a register uh, and that is why one of my questions to the, to, to the SecDef and the minister is, do we have a, an asset register of, of all our movable assets, but also our property and fixed assets and facilities? Because if we know what we have and we know what we do not use, then we know what can be sweated or what can even be sold. Because we know that to a large extent, we still sit with the assets of the old SADEF that we know we don't need anymore. So either it can be sold to private companies or private people or to other state departments being used or whatever the case may be. We know that many of those, those properties are overgrown with grass and it's just costing us a lot of money in terms of maintenance and Defense Works will probably um, attest to that. Um, I want to say that, that um, also the remarks about the UN uh, um, uh, um, uh, refunds. We know that in the current budget, oh, the, the last thing that I just want to say about, about revenue generations. Remember, this has been a ministerial priority since 2019. So, so, so it's actually uh, underperformance by the minister and by even delaying it further, it can impact on, on our current minister and her performance agreements uh, going forward and in terms of ministerial priorities. So, so um, I want to know about that asset register. And then, uh, you know, most certainly we must try and, and, and uh, you know, have partnerships with the South African defense industry because they have got the capabilities and the know-how on, on how to renovate these things and also where we can sell properties and sell assets, assets that we don't know. 
or, uh, don't uh, use anymore. So I want both the minister and the SECDEF to respond to that uh, because this is kind of a very new information to me. And, and as you know, I've been in this portfolio committee since 2015. And, and this has been discussed by, by the, in the previous parliament. And Chairperson, you will know that from 2019, we have continuously talked about this. Uh, and, and, and I'm quite, I'm quite surprised by the reaction now that, um, that again, they want to start from, from fresh. Um, yeah, that, 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 that doesn't sit very well with me. And, uh, that means that all this talk and everything that we've done is, was a total waste. Um, and, and I, and I don't think that is the right way to do so. So either the, the SECDEF must get, must get uh, things ordered and, and scheduled. Uh, and, uh, because the rest of the department should have worked on this for quite a while. This shouldn't be a new thing now. So please can we get that feedback and, and the commitments that, that we will start to, to, to generate funds. The one thing provision that we must have, Chair, uh, and that is where the minister must assist us, where she must talk to the minister of finance. We must get a situation where we can ring fence this money. It cannot go into the central revenue fund because then we know that we have to fight for that uh, and, and any other department might have might want to have a, 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 a you know a piece of that as well. We must try to get that ring face for the use of the SNDF. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Murray. Uh, Mr. Raider. Thank you very much, Chair. Good evening, uh, Minister. Welcome. Uh, good evening, colleagues, and thanks for the opportunity to chat. I think that uh, at the risk of of, of having Mr. Murray uh, repeat what he said to Dr. Essop. Um, I'm going to introduce perhaps a couple of new ideas as well. And uh, um, I, I do think that the defense budget certainly needs a little bit of uh, assistance, uh, certainly in the maintenance point of view. And, um, yeah, so I think that, that if there are innovative ways that we can generate revenue, we certainly should be doing so. And one of those issues uh, has just actually raised its head in the last couple of days in the media where the South African police services are looking for uh, accommodation for 10,000 new recruits. Now, um, and uh, I recently asked a question, and thank you to the minister for the written reply to that, uh, regarding the barracks of, uh, of the SANDF. And the numbers that, uh, that, that, that were given to me there are way below the, the capacity, as far as I understand. So there's a lot of barracks standing empty. And as Mr. Marie quite correctly said, uh, the grass is growing, uh, there's maintenance needed, et cetera, et cetera. So if we can get people, your houses like to be lived in. That's the whole point is that, you know, an empty house quickly goes to ruin. So if, if we can possibly be um, getting police, the South African police services to be paying us a little bit of rental, um, it's not uncommon for there to be interdepartmental lease agreements, et cetera. Um, and I'm sure some of it would go to the office space as well. There is uh, a, a surplus office space that we that, that we are aware of that we've seen as well in, in, in some of our oversights. That's not even to mention going to look at the uh, military hospitals and facilities uh, and the potential for leasing those out uh, rather than keeping them on board and, and, and you know doing half a job because it's not perhaps a, a, a core asset. So that was perhaps the first thing. The, the second thing that I wanted to mention, uh, Chairperson, is that, you know, the SANDF 
did an excellent job uh, when they were stationed here in the Val, um, dealing at the at, at the Subakeng Wastewater Treatment Works. Um, they were uh, appointed to D sludge, and we had the Tuffies. I think the yeah the engineers. I don't know. I don't know if they like to be called Tuffies anymore. But uh, we had the engineers out, and and they they did great work. Uh, the reality is that these capabilities exist within the Defence Force, and it's not limited only to the engineers. I think that uh, the health services also have got fantastic capabilities, some of which are lying either dormant or untapped. Uh, and let's face it, uh, Chairperson, if you've got a skill, in order to keep that skill honed, it's always a good idea to to keep yourself in practice, to be out there and, and doing certain things. So, you know, what is the potential of, uh, for example, having the SANDF Engineering Corps coming out and becoming implementing agents uh, for, for some of the small sewer treatment works uh, and projects and cleanups, et cetera, that we're seeing um, that uh, are being put out to tender um, and we're having either private companies or some of the water boards. I mean, Randwater now has, has won some tenders recently in this regard. And, uh, you know, if we can keep this money internal, uh, thereby upskilling uh, existing engineers, uh, keeping their hands in, as they say it, uh, in terms of keeping their, 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 uh, their skills up to date and so on, I think that would be a really good idea. So a little bit at a tangent from what the original discussion was intended to be, but just the case is that there is huge potential for, uh, yes, monetization of, 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 of using some of our skills. Thank you, Chair. All right. Um, thank you very much, uh, uh, Mr. Raider. May I now invite uh, Honorable Tabo Mutle? Thank you very much, Chair. And good evening uh, to honorable members and uh, colleagues uh, from the department as led by uh, the SECDEF. Chair, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit uh, uh, confused uh, out of the, the input or overview made by, by the SECDEF. My understanding is that there are two types of uh, assets which requires two different separate processes uh, for disposal. And you see, we can't avoid the fact that uh, uh, disposal must take place. Whether the processes are different, uh, because the some of the bases, the bases that were military bases that were visited, uh, you would find ordinary vehicles that uh, do not require arms core processes and NCC. They require the department itself to appoint an auctioneer through a simple process of uh, 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 SCM. Uh, and dispose those ones. Uh, you keep them there. They are snakes, uh, which are a threat to also to 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 troops in those uh, military base. Uh, secondly, uh, the issue of theft. They invite uh, 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 thieves to come and steal some of the 
the parts from those uh, uh, vehicle and other equipment uh, uh, which the department can easily uh, take a decision to dispose them, uh, uh, which does not require that uh, intense process that uh, uh, the SECDEF is referring to. Of course, with uh, uh, the brown equipment, it is understood, but I don't know how how then uh, Treasury comes and dictates to the department what to do. Uh, because if there's a, a transversal, uh, uh, the department want to use auctioneer the transversal, they must appoint uh, from that transversal. If they want to appoint their, uh, uh, run their own processes to appoint their, their, their auctioneer to auction those uh, assets, uh, it should be done in line with what the uh, National Treasury prescribes in that uh, transversal. The only challenge will come when uh, an auctioneer appointed outside the transversal become expensive more than what uh, the, the, the Treasury has prescribed in the, in, in the, in the, in the what you call uh, uh, transversal. And normally auction auctioneers, uh, you appoint them and you agree with them on a certain percentage uh, out of the, the total asset disposed in, a, in, a, in an auction. It's not like you will get a, a, an, an auctioneer who will sell. It's not a normal process like your three quotation and so forth and so on. But uh, normally what I know is that they work on a percentage uh, out of what they have. They shall have disposed uh, out of the total income uh, uh, after disposal. But you see, and I, and I want to agree with uh, Honorable Murray, the, even with regard to the disposal of the brown uh, uh, vehicles or, or military assets, uh, it's not something new. It has been done before. The defense industry is there. But this time when it's done, my, my concern is that uh, uh, it should not be only those companies that are established in this regard to to benefit from that processes uh, without effecting uh, 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 some level of regulation to ensure that uh, there are new players who come into that space and also are able to benefit from that process of uh, disposing this uh, uh, particular equipments and assets. Uh, I think uh, there must be clarity there as to what it can be. It can be uh, one size fits all. The SECDEF must be able to tell us what are the challenges in, in terms of uh, disposing assets that uh, do not require the process that he, she made mention of uh, with NC, ACC, AMSCO, so forth, uh, this other process is a simple process. Why are you not going ahead with it? Thank you very much. Thank you so much, uh, colleagues. I, I think the colleagues um, <clears throat> would recall that uh, on our oversight visit, I think it was on four, um, four vehicle reserve park um, in, in, in Sony. Uh, we were shown a uh, uh, number of vehicles, uh, obsolete uh, vehicles, 
um, some of them were said to have uh, come as far as from uh, the countries where the SADF was in Angola, and they delivered. They were delivered straight from there. Um, so they had not been used even once since uh, 1994. And uh, not to say that. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, they they can still be used, but uh, uh, I think they were just packed there. And uh, and of late, we've had two incidents of uh, these vehicles uh, pack uh, catching fire, and uh, and in some cases uh, uh, vehicles uh, you know getting destroyed uh, totally. Uh, so we lose value, uh, whatever value was left um, of them. So yet if we had been proactive to make a call whether we retain them uh, or we dispose of them. And, uh, uh, you know, so we... That's a situation we, we've been faced with. But Mr. Mara has just explained that previously, uh, that was part of the process, that uh, these uh, would be disposed of and, and, and so on and so forth. But we understand the complexities uh, of disposing um, what is known as a, a military uh, equipment uh, that has got to go follow protocol and, and, and follow certain processes. And I think the feeling of the members is that um, uh, to have those vehicles packed the way they are packed and catching fire and losing whatever value that was still there, it, it serves no purpose. And um, in, in some cases we hear that, um, you know, uh, the criminals are, you know, starting to move into them and uh, taking some scrap uh, materials, uh, what they would consider as a scrap material uh, from those vehicles. So the, the quicker we move, uh, the better. And um, so, Def, I think you've heard what colleagues have to say on this matter. Let me allow you to uh, comment, uh, and then maybe the minister would want to input uh, into it as well before we move to the next uh, item. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, Chairperson, uh, I, I don't think that we are talking at cross-purpose cross with Honorable Mutli, because um, all that we were saying is that, yes, there are two processes. One is for the normal vehicles and other things that we want to dispose of. And then um, our logistics division has been in contact with Treasury because they were working on a, 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 a appointing an auctioneer that would be used by various departments. So we thought that we can latch onto that process. So that takes care of your other assets that are other than a, a, a military hardware. Then the one of the military hardware, it's a conversation that we're having on an ongoing basis with our colleagues from AMSCO. And as you correctly point out, Chairperson, 
that, uh, um, um, as you said, through your visits, you have been to a number of bases and there are lots of these uh, vehicles. So that is what we are saying that that is a separate process. So it doesn't take away from the process that will be followed with National Treasury, which we are on uh, in any case. So I think that that really addresses the issues of disposal. We can also look, uh, probably the others happened before my time, how we can bring the industry if they can also assist or if there is an interest in some of that. So it's something that uh, is worth looking at. I, I, I do take the points that Honorable Ryder is raising. Even within our department, uh, Chairperson, if you look, we, um, we have been doing a lot of bridges in the other provinces, particularly KZN and um, Eastern Cape. We have been doing some work in the Val River. Now, when you go to those places, it is the specialized skills. They, those are our engineers. And what really we have been getting for all the work that our engineers have been doing is really paying them an SNT only. So one of the things that we accept is that uh, we have not really monetized that. You know, I mean, in case at end, I think we've built about 19 bridges in the Eastern Cape, about 14 bridges, and we have more and more requests. So one of the things we are also saying is that how do we begin to monetize our skills? Do we really want to expose engineers that are going to be paid only SNT when they are coming specialized uh, as a professionals in the field of engineering? So I think those points are taken. And then um, on the one of the accommodation for the police, in actual fact, we were talking about it about two weeks ago. We were approached by the police where they wanted to use our facility and they were saying that uh, they are ready to pay. So it's some of those things that uh, we are looking at. The only thing, Chair, is that it's not consolidated as something that is a package that we can come to you and say, yeah, it is. It is a consolidated package we are able to present to you. So we have to look at that. And I, I do agree uh, the issue that was raised by Dr. Esop. Today, actually, I spent half the day at uh, uh, two mil. And if you look at the state of the hospital, you would recall, Chairperson, we used to say that one mil, we used it to actually attract a lot of heads of states, politicians, and they were coming and they were paying for those. And when one walked into two mil today, you have a sense that we are so advanced. And in actual fact, in one of the rooms we went to where there is x-ray, it's about three hospitals in the country that have those types of x-rays. And I was there with the Surgeon General, and we were saying that, why don't we probably look at the possibility of starting to market two mil, you know, as the alternatives whilst we try to sort out a one mil. So there is a quite a bit that is going on there. That is a possibility for us um, to, um, to deal with. Yes, I, 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 I do uh, remember, Chairperson, when they are a uh, reimbursement, uh, as Honorable Marie points out, it goes to Treasury. And these are the things that we want to engage them on. But even what they pay back, it's not that we have broken even as a department on what we have put into 
operation mistrial. So we are not even saying that we have gone to a point where we feel that we are generating more income than what uh, we, we had put in. But also remember, we have had a lot of discussions around issues of maintenance and spares and things like that. And these are some of the things that impact on how much we get. We are saying that it is not the only thing that we can deal with in as much as one can think that 500 million is a lot of money. But if you consider what we have put in there, 500 million doesn't even begin to actually cover what we have incurred as a department in getting our um, our people there. Yes, we do have an asset register, uh, which is available of all our assets. And of course, I mean, a uh, part of the reason, Chairperson, why we, uh, we need to do disposal on an ongoing basis is also not to clutter your uh, asset register so that then we really account for things that we feel that we no longer use. So the asset register is there um, in, 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 in the various structures. So all that we are trying to do is that once we do go through that process of doing the auction, we can then look what is it that uh, is, is, is left in there. So there are those kinds of things. But And I think one of the issues, uh, Chairperson, I tried to front load is that also at an executive level, it is felt that we needed to discuss these things a lot more. And, and we don't want to dispose of assets that we probably will need. The ones that we are talking about here are the assets that will need to be disposed of, but they are some of the assets that we wouldn't want to sweat simply because we want to make money because they may be of need to us in the near future. Those are the points that I thought I needed to respond to a uh, to chairperson, but maybe the minister may also want to come in. I'm, I'm not sure. Sorry, I was muted. Uh, Minister, um, uh, any input uh, from your side in relation to this matter? As a, yes, uh, yes, Minister. Um, it is true um, that the military was doing a good job on the Val River. It is also true that we have reopened uh, discussions after engaging with the military, whether or not um, water can now um, actually take them back there so that they can uh, begin to finish off what they had started because we didn't volunteer to go away. And the military are very clear, it is not that they were unable to finish the job. Um, I think that we must be understood. We do understand that, that when things are obsolete, um, you can dispose of them. We do also understand that every department has a policy on disposal of assets. What I was talking to Mr. Murray was that one wants to avoid pitfalls. We do also know for a fact that in the disposal of some of the vehicles, um, but let me just backtrack a little bit, Immediately, um, as the, the, the vehicles were still um, flaming, we went on inspection. It was also very interesting how the fire got there. Now, firstly, it is not just about disposal. It is how they are stored. 
It is why they are stored the way they are stored. It is why defense is unable to look after its property, obsolete or not. It is why we think it is quite normal for crooks to even, and thieves to get near military bases. For me, um, if I had even a plastic with, uh, uh, pistol, no thief would get near a base if I'm there. I deal with them. Because you do need to begin to separate. The main function of the defense force is actually not to do what we are discussing today. That then says that we, we, we shouldn't even have put the burden of safeguarding this. Uh, all those uh, scraps, and some of them still in very good and can be fixed very easily, Mr. Murray. I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm a mechanic. My brother was one. Um, but I do know that if we put our mind to it, some of those tracks can help. As a matter of fact, we're speaking about it a few weeks ago. Not a few weeks ago, DevSec, I think last week, actually, when we all met. So it is not a refusal to dispose of the things that we do not need. It is looking at what you can do to make sure that your edge as a military in the region is not deflected by you wanting to be all over. It is our responsibility to ensure that there are enough funds, but it is also our responsibility to say, but our focus as minister and uh, a DG of the, of the department is not actually to sell stuff. It is to ensure that soldiers are looked after, that they don't lose their edge on the field and in the protection of, of this country. So yes, we hear you. If we have finished to discuss DevSec and we have not finished to discuss so for me, Mr. Mare, whether it is a blot against my performance, if we are a little bit slow, but make sure that uh, the disposal of asset is done correctly and properly, then so be it. Um, but I would not agree that uh, we, we rush into disposal and, and find that in fact, we shouldn't have disposed this or disposed that. We have had a discussion with Jinan their role in the disposal and their role in not disposing and looking well after the the the, the, the properties that they were supposed to look after. Uh, Mr. Ryder referred to the properties um, and the barracks. We have had a discussion with the Minister of Police when he was looking for training facilities and we said to him, we will, we will from now onwards avail property and space for the police to use the facilities of the defense, but we will expect maintenance for the duration of you there. We will expect you to pay something towards the upkeep of, of, of that, not just maintenance. If you, if you spoil, you will fix, but you will also put something in the kitty because we do have more needs and our budget is far less than that of the police. And therefore, we're not neglecting what you are saying, but I do not want the DevSec to see herself as a businesswoman who's going to sell things left, right, and center. We are engaging, 
We are engaging because we need to engage Treasury and the presidency on the proper funding of the defense. That does not mean we want to cling to scraps at all costs. It simply means that we do not want any scandals attached to us. We do not want any haste. And that's like if you do come across those people, the, 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 the auctioneers and whatever, they will be proper people who will not be running away with, 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 with uh, uh, stuff. So I'm simply saying, honorable members, we will do what is right for defense, but we will not also just cut corners because we need the money. We will make sure that all our equipment, that which is reusable can be used, that which defense cannot use the first option. For instance, I was talking last week about um, refrigerators. That can still be refurbished, Mr. Murray, and make sure that as you deploy members out there, we were accused of giving our our soldiers rotten food in, 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 in Mozambique. Now, why don't we refurbish? Why don't we make sure that even the mobile kitchens are more functional and that we can make sure that fresh food is cooked and, and those things. So you look at what you have, you fix it for your own use and what you can't use, you then begin to, to, to give away. But you don't give away, you look at schools, you look at crashes because some of the things that we have there, we can take there. We have a shortage of, of ambulances. Some of the carcasses there can serve kids, can serve uh, 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 as, as, as auxiliary vehicles. And of course, South Africa also in the various agreements, that's like you remember, we made undertakings that what we can dispose to other countries, we will also dispose. So we're not in denial. We're simply saying, give us space. We will do what is right with the defense. Um, but also, any other department of state that we work with, we will no longer deploy our people, pay them SNTs, transport them, do, 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 when in fact we are not doing what our primary objective is, but we are working in concert with other departments. And that way we will be able to have maybe resolve one of the cost-cutting measures, DevSec, that you informed me about when I first came to the department is the relationship between us and public works, the bills that we pour in and that we are not getting anything out. And that is why there are serious talks between the two departments, because we get accused of, of, of not keeping up with the renovations and the upkeeps in the barracks, but we pay somebody another department to make sure that those, we get accused of uh, uh, houses that are dilapidated, but somebody gets money. We get accused of not paying in time for, for, for water and electricity, but the money is deposited somewhere. And therefore we've been looking at a whole basket of um, how do you get to savings without turning ourselves into a business because we'll never be a business, but we will look at the best way to ensure that defense is properly resourced, is properly functional. And, and you will also remember that in the days of, of, of Mandela, the secondary deployment or function that was actually seriously being looked at 
is how you will use the military in the assistance of improving the, the lives of the civilians there. And therefore, building dams, sometimes fixing roads, that was something that we were looking at. Right now, you've got an increase of disasters. We are actually discussing that in the defense. How do you make sure that the next disaster is not going to catch us off guard? Right now, you've got to provide alternative uh, housing for all those victims of the latest disasters. How do we unleash our works department? So we are, we are looking at all that. And when you do that, you will look at the abilities, the skills that you have, and deploy them accordingly. But when you deploy them like that, you must also have the wherewithal to keep on honing their skills and to replenish, because some of them have to retire sometimes, and things happen. So we hear you, and when we are ready, we will come back. But DevSec, with all the appreciation that we get from the uh, uh, inputs from the members, I hope that we will not be stampeded to take decisions on the run that we will regret later. We will make sure that everything is fine, and when we are ready, we'll come back and say, now we are ready. We are moving this direction and that direction. This is our asset register. This is what we are disposing. And the monies will be declared because it is not our property. And that is why the system that we will put in place must be the system that we will be able to stand up anywhere in South Africa and in parliament and say, this is the direction we followed because we had looked at this and that and that. Uh, I thank you, Chairperson. That's all I wanted to say on this. No, thank you very much, uh, Minister. We appreciate that um, you are looking uh, into the matter. And uh, it, it must not take you another 28 years. Um, some, some of the, the things that members have spoken about um, were, have been have remained uh, in the parks uh, for, for that long. And uh, so the view is that if uh, this matter is um, uh, left, uh, you know, unattended to, it can easily be forgotten. And uh, <clears throat> so we, we think we would keep it on, on the, uh, under our radar uh, because some of the assets have got to be, especially those that were not utilizing, and there is no hope that they will ever be utilized. Um, and uh, because of the, because they've been there for and remained obsolete for, for, for many years. So, so it means that in, in, in the process, we must separate uh, uh, the issue of revenue generating and asset disposal. Asset disposal because is part of your supply chain management. I think that when you don't need the asset to dispose it, of course, for value, um, because you want to rejuvenate the assets that um, you, 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 you have. So we will leave it at that, uh, Minister. So, and uh, we'll give you time to, to look at the matter. And, uh, but certainly the matter is not going to leave uh, our agenda 
until such time we are convinced that uh, those vehicle graveyards that we have seen are, are cleared um, uh, because we, 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 it's clear that for as long as uh, we have them, uh, we'll keep uh, uh, having to, uh, you know, uh, you know, receive, um, you know, unnecessary attention, like the time when they caught up uh, with fire. So we want to leave it at that uh, for now, uh, Minister. It's, it, I'm surprised that this item that I thought was a short item would uh, go to more than uh, 15 minutes. But it was a good uh, item and we have had valuable uh, suggestions and uh, proposals and from the meeting, which of course the sector uh, and, and the ministry will take it into account, will take them into account when they formulate their policies. All right, colleagues. I'm sure we can now move to the next uh, uh, item. Um, thank you very much, Minister. And, and Sektef, we, we can then uh, take the next item is a briefing by the on Kupatlala. Uh, I don't know, Sektef, who's going to take us through that briefing. We have uh, two generals, uh, Chairperson, General Ramanswana and General Kamfer. They will take us through on the project Kupatlala. So I will hand over to them. Hey, General Ramanswana, are you starting? Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Sekdef. Good evening, Minister. Good evening, uh, Chairperson and Honourable Members. We have, uh, I am going to give an opportunity to General Kamfa to take us through the presentation. And I hope it's visible, Chair, because he has already loaded it. And if it's visible, he's it just going to start with the presentation. Thank you, Chair. General Kamfa. <clears throat> Thank you. Is the presentation visible on your side? Yes, it is, sir. Yeah. Uh, Chairperson, uh, Honourable Minister, uh, members of the Joint Standing Committee on Defence, the uh, SECDEF and other members part of this meeting, uh, thank you for the opportunity. I am Brigadier General <coughs> Gerard Kamfer, uh, the Director of Kobatlala. Previously, I managed Kobatlala and the, the Reserves in the Army. So I'm going to give you a presentation on the status of Project Kobatlala and the way forward for the SANDF in terms of establishing a possible production brigade. <clears throat> so the aim of the presentation is to brief the Joint Standing Committee on Defence on the state of Project Kobatlala and how it aids rural development and the Defence for self-sustainability. This is the scope uh, that I'm going to cover, Chair. The background and the concept of uh, Kovatlala, alignment uh, with the State of the Nation Address and the Agro-Processing Master Plan that was uh, released last week by the Minister of Agriculture. Then the Defence Review and Defence Mandate and how we are aligned uh, with that. Then achievements of uh, Kovatlala then the possible conversion of Kubatlala into a production brigade, and then just uh, an indication of some pilot projects, cattle farming in the Northwest, and then the Mariville Military Agri-Village as two examples, and then the way forward for the, 
the French force. Now, Patala started in uh, 2017, at the end of 2017, uh, the Honorable Minister will remember, we started on a very small scale when she was still the Premier of, of Northwest. And since then, a lot of things happened in uh, Kubatlala. And the idea was to actually support the National Development Plan and Vision 2030. And at that time, the Chief of the Defence Force, uh, General Shoke, appointed Chief of the Army to manage the project from within the Army as a Defence Force project. <clears throat> now, in February this year, Chairperson, uh, the MCC and the Chief of the Defence Force made a decision that Kobatlala is approved in its current configuration for the short term, that is financial year 22-23, whilst the plan is being drafted to transform it into a production brigade, which will serve to support the sustainment of the Defence Force in the outer years of the current MTF from 24-25 uh, financial year. I can just say something here. Yeah. So Kobatlala was endorsed and promoted uh, by the Minister of Defence and Military Veterans as a member of the National Executive to be the DOD's sustained contribution to the developmental agenda and social agenda of government. The government is encouraging under the current fiscal constraints that the utilisation of resources be shared amongst government departments to reach national objectives. And this is exactly what we are, have tried to do in uh, Kubatlala. Uh, project uh, Kubatlala poten has potential has attracted interest from various state departments, provincial governments, and other role players. However, the disruptions caused by COVID-19 pandemic substantially curtailed the execution of the performance plan. I had to cancel 20 courses for about 900 Reserve Force members, for example, and necessitates the extension of the project to do justice to the commitment to an investment by the MOD and military veterans and the DOD leadership and to convert it into a production brigade by 24, 25, after we've done some feasibility studies. <clears throat> Although the project has made great progress with the reskilling of reserve force members to provide them with portable skills to their own benefit and that of communities, targets have not yet been fully achieved and to also empower regular and reserve force members to function as part of the to be established production brigade. Interventions in support of communities in distress, for example, in terms of water purification, water and sanitation need to continue to provide these communities with essential services. And how did we apply the uh, Kobatlala concept? Uh, Kobatlala is committed to uplifting and skilling soldiers, creating jobs and growing the economy close to military bases, as well as the secondary contribution to the upliftment of women, youth and people with disabilities and members of what we call the military family. By that we mean regulars, reserves, veterans and spouses. In this regard, the reskilling and empowering of Reserve Force members to the benefit of the organization and the individual is a high priority. This additional training provided to Reserve Force members is also linked to the to be established Mzanzi Home Guard, uh, where we're going to start a pilot in Mpopo 
Bumalanga, the Free State, and KZN to make members useful to be utilized in their local communities. A key priority is to unlock the potential of small, medium, and micro enterprises and small and emerging farmers in identified township and rural area enterprises and the revitalization of agriculture and the agro-processing value chains by making them part of the SANDF value chain. Now we've also uh, aligned uh, Kuba Tlala over the last three years uh, with uh, the various state of the nation addresses priorities of government. On the 16th of February, uh, this was the reply by the president in, in terms of his state of the nation address. Even though we disagree in this house across society, there is a broad agreement as we grow the economy, create employment and fight poverty and hunger. Now the meaning of Kuba Tlala uh, is the Tswana word for fighting hunger, chasing away hunger. And uh, the last uh, part of that first uh, paragraph, this is the hallmark of our developmental state. Second paragraph, leaving no one behind means focusing on small, medium and micro enterprises, small scale farmers, for example, as well. And then the last sentence, the last paragraph, it included the more than 100,000 small scale farmers we have received vouchers to expand their production. All I'm trying to do here is to set the scene that the Defence Force can play a major role in rural areas where we have military bases, where we can start buying locally from these smaller enterprises and small-scale and emerging farmers. Now, another very important uh, development uh, chairperson, uh, was, which was launched earlier this week, uh, was the Agriculture and Agro-Processing Master Plan. And this is the product of a social compact between labor, government, civil society, and industry. The vision of the AMP is to build a growing, equitable, inclusive, competitive, job-creating, low-carbon, and sustainable agriculture and agro-processing sectors. And I think here, <clears throat> uh, I've studied this document yesterday, we can also play a role as the Department of Defense to assist uh, with this plan. The third paragraph, this is underpinned by a theory of change that places premium on overcoming duality in the sector while enabling greater inclusion and participation of black farmers, small scale and emerging farmers in agriculture, production and across the value chain. The fourth paragraph, this is especially important for those farmers that are on the margins of the mainstream economy in rural areas and are weakly uh, integrated into the value chain. And uh, this project is the only DOD vehicle available to stimulate rural economic initiatives. And as such is a catalyst for development, if it can be aligned also to the AAMP. The focus remains on decentralized procurement where we buy locally to provide economic opportunities to SMMEs and small-scale and emerging farmers close to military bases. This is just an overview of uh, Kubatlala and the status currently. Uh, the project name, Kubatlala, the project end state, an effective and successful Department of Defense contributing to the developmental agenda of government. This is how the minister approved it. Uh, the outcome, a measurable contribution by the DOD to the developmental agenda of government. Project posts were approved by uh, DIMS 
and a director project called Tlala was appointed. Now, if we look at the uh, project timelines, uh, Chairperson, we will see that we are now in phase three, at 21-22 consolidation phase, and further decision on the future of the project. And that's where the uh, MCC and Chief SANDF uh, proposed that for the next two years, we must start slowly converting uh, Kubatlala into a production brigade so that it can be in place by uh, March uh, 2024. The budget allocated, not a big budget, operating 3,8 million, mandate 17,4 million. Uh, I'm saying not a big budget for a national uh, project. And then uh, we also used Asieta funding to the value of 4,3 million uh, to reskill these uh, reserve force members. We also aligned uh, the project uh, with the Defense Review, especially goal four of the Defense Review, developmental and other order tasks. And if we look at uh, task 12 and 13, especially task 13, contribute to the development of South Africa and its people. If we further look at uh, a goal four, developmental and other order tasks on the task 13, contribute to the development of South Africa and its people, you will see there there's uh, six uh, components there, youth development, spatial dispersion, reserve utilization, employment, community services, and critical infrastructure interventions. Chairperson, <clears throat> I just want to mention the last point here in terms of the defense mandate. The last bullet there for service in support of any department of state for the purpose of socioeconomic upliftment. So this is how we have uh, aligned uh, the project uh, with uh, various uh, uh, higher level uh, policies. Our achievements so far, Project Kobatlala have focused on four uh, areas. The first one, the left-hand column, local procurement, then in the middle, additional training for reserves, the right-hand one, reskilling of reserves, and at the bottom, high-impact projects. Jefferson, I will just quickly go through this. Local procurement means uh, we have decentralized procurement and otherwise we buy locally through our commercialized messes. So where we have a commercialized mess, they can buy locally through the non-public fund and uh, they can support uh, SMMEs, small scale and emerging farmers in, in those areas. And if you look at the bottom there, this is about the spending of about 850 million that we spent on military messes. That is now between the Army, the Air Force, the Navy, and the Medical Health Services. And this was about uh, two years back. This total is now more than 900 million that we spent on buying food for our soldiers. Then the middle one is about additional training for the to be established in Zanzi Home Guard, where we give accredited training basic intelligence, incident command systems, which includes firefighting, and then at the bottom, water and sanitation training, and then water purification training. In the right-hand column, it's about the reskilling of reserves, further education, training, and development of our reserves. We've trained some of them as security officers, and then training as community development and liaison practitioners. And in this case, it was in the Army about the 11,000 Reserve Force members that we use annually, of which about 9,000 of them are uh, 
unemployed and we felt it is our responsibility to empower them, to reskill them when they are not called up, that they can use that skill to maybe get an additional income. And then at the bottom, we have certain high impact projects, which I will point out now. If we look at local procurement, uh, the achievements, we've developed a model for small scale and emerging farmers and SMMEs to become part of the value chain. We haven't got time now to go into that, Chairperson. Uh, Some cooperatives were formed. We are, we've completed a project with the Department of Agriculture of mapping all our commercialized messes in South Africa because the Department of Agriculture has got certain farmer production support units where they've already grouped together these small-scale and emerging farmers. So we don't get involved as the defense force on the other side to try and find these small-scale farmers. We work in conjunction with the Gauteng, for example, Agricultural Department and the National Department of Agriculture, and we bring them in contact with the commercialized messes, and they then rotate those suppliers that everybody can get an opportunity. Uh, we have 52 commercialized messes in the army, and uh, the savings at this stage is between 20 and 30% by buying locally at, at the best price. Then uh, the next bullet, all the Air Force messes are commercialized. Uh, so, and we had negotiations with various organizations to assist us with this. Agri-South Africa, Agri-Enterprises, AFASA, the African Farmers Association, NARPU, the Red Meat Producers Organization, Grain South Africa, and then future planning, farming on underutilized Defense Force land after we've done some feasibility studies, support and rotate SMMEs and small-scale farmers, and then training of regular and reserve force members for the to-be-established production brigade. The reason, Chairperson, uh, why we've included regular force members here uh, it was indicated to me that there are many reserve regular force members over the age of 57, which can maybe be pulled in to some of these uh, projects. And uh, we're looking at that now as well as supernumerary members in the Defence Force. Uh, in the middle column, we've done a lot of training in terms of water purification, uh, water and sanitation. We've done a course in the VAL, uh, where the VAL municipality in the to us in Fulani municipality that they can maybe provide uh, basics of water and sanitation. So when they're out of uniform, they can there be, uh, be utilized. Then future planning, alignment of the production brigade and the Mzanzi Home Guard in Mpopo, Mpumalanga, KZN and the Free State. And then the last column, uh, we've managed to, to reskill uh, 1,441 reserve force members in a variety of, of skills from agri-related skills, coding skills, firefighting, uh, community development and liaison, uh, some agri-related training. And here I wanted to stand over a 2,500 reserves to 3,000, but due to COVID, it was not possible. And then at the, at the bottom, future planning is also to continue with the reskilling of at least eight to 900 reserve force members per, per, per financial year. This is a, a typical example of what we mean by decentralized procurement and how the Defense Force can make a contribution to uh, rural development. In the Limpopo province, uh, we are buying food to the value of more than 50 million. 
between all those units. For example, 15 SAI in Toyando is an example, 7 SAI in Palaborva, the Air Force Base Makaru, and the Army Support Base in Polokwane. Now, in the past, everything was basically bought from Gauteng. Now, I've spent two weeks there around Toyando. Uh, Toyando is one of the best farming areas in South Africa. We took those pictures there, and um, those farmers, are, they know how to farm. Some of them have been farming there for generations, but they've got no, no market access and uh, basically very little support. So it is just a logic thing without deviating from our core business as the Defence Force that we can then start buying locally through the commercialized messes in the Limpopo province and in that way support uh, the local economy and the rural economy in those areas. These are just a summary of some of the high impact projects. We have a project Sakalwazi Women's Hub at Philippi on the Cape Flats, where the Army Support Base in Cape Town is buying from them and supporting those farmers there. Uh, then the General Bota Regiment in Barberton, where we have a vegetable garden going, which we want to expand. Then the establishment of the Marivel Agri Village, an agricultural training center in conjunction with the Gauteng uh, Provincial Government, the two departments, the Department of Agriculture of Gauteng and the Department of Social Development. They are our partners there to develop uh, Marivel. Then we've identified two farms uh, as a possible pilot in the next uh, year or two. Uh, the one farm is near Potjestroom, and the other one is the farm Petritif on the Lesotho border in the Free State. We had interaction with the Premier of the Eastern Cape and the Eastern Cape Rural Development Agency in terms of poss possibilities there. And then uh, we also took agri-enterprises to the infantry school in Uitswaram uh, to assist us there with feasibility studies and possible business plans to start something there. Now, uh, the guidelines, uh, Chairperson, that I got from uh, the MCC and Chief SANDF is to see if we can't create some sort of self-sufficiency for the Defence Force. If you look at the bottom of this slide, it is saying supporting the sustainment of the SNDF. Not taking it over, but supporting the sustainment uh, of the SNDF where it is uh, practical and feasible. Now, it's divided into three agri-related initiatives where Defence Force land is utilised to provide food items consumed in military messes professional partnerships with other entities such as Department of Agriculture, provincial and local governments, encourage local procurement, create mutu mutually profitable networks of local communities, and involve regular and reserve force members who demonstrated interest. The second one, develop a manufacturing capability for some general commodities utilized in the military like uniforms, boots, uh, track suits, ration packs, for example, so we will have to go into feasibility studies to see what of this will be possible. And then forge uh, professional partnerships with entities such as the CSIR, uh, etc. Now, Chairperson, uh, in most of these, uh, some of this we have touched in, in Kubatlala. And the only one where we haven't done anything is basically the manufacturing capability. Uh, all I'm trying to indicate here that we have actually a firm foundation to start with feasibility studies for a possibility to support the sustainment of the Defence Force in the future. 
In this regard, I've also studied the models in Tanzania, uh, in Zambia, where, with, where they have uh, production brigades, uh, the model that they're using in China, uh, etc. So there are various models on how the defense forces all over the world, some of them are becoming more self-sustainable. So this is how we've uh, divided it up uh, as phase one, the agri-related initiatives into the next three financial years, financial year 22, 23, then 23, 24, and 24, 25. Uh, Chairperson, I'm not going to go to all, into all the details. I just want to focus here on the middle column, uh, the production brigade units. Commanders intent confirmed. The concept must be formulated. Feasibility studies in all the military regions must be done. Uh, structures are developed. Application for alternative use of Defence Force land because all Defence Force land has been allocated for military purposes. So as soon as one wants to start... Uh, Using it for something else, it needs to do a, uh, an application. Uh, it needs to be zoned off, etc. Identify potential partners and implementing agents, and then business plans and funding model. And then by 24, 24, uh, 25, we want to migrate this into a production brigade after we've completed the feasibility studies to see what is possible and what is not possible. In the left-hand column, the reskilling and ETD, we will have to retain a reskilling and ETD arm within the production brigade. We will continue in this financial year to train our reserves. I will show you a slide on additional courses in agriculture, identified and presented to selected regular and reserve force members for possible utilization in the production brigade. Uh, on the right, in the right hand column. In the next two financial years, we will also continue with this decentralized procurement from our commercialized messes where we can support uh, the small-scale and emerging farmers in uh, especially rural and, and semi-rural areas. Then phase two is about the manufacturing capability. Um, in the left-hand column, we have to uh, the post, post profiles must be determined after we've completed the feasibility study, staff training to work on machinery, basic management training, project management and supervisory skills training, industrial relations training in the middle column. The concept must be formulated, feasibility studies done, structures development, potential factories identified. We've already identified there's a lot of uh, factories standing empty in, in Babalege Industrial. And then the right-hand column engage the Department of Trade and Industry, engage the Gauteng Department of Economic Development, engage with SAFI in terms of their uh, potential role because they actually the business arm of the Defence Force. Then funding models needs to be developed, secure capital funding, secure capital for running costs and business plans. So all I want to say, uh, Chairperson, is that um, this is all uh, in the starting stages. Uh, First of all, we will do a proper feasibility study before we start uh, with anything. So this is basically the idea. We will use uh, Kovatlala as a firm foundation to so move certain uh, How much time do you still need uh, to finish your presentation? About uh, seven, seven, eight minutes, Jim. Okay, sure. Um, these are the courses uh, that we're going to present in financial year 22-23. You will see at the bottom, scarce skills and specific job-related training. 
This is the budget that we have. Uh, the cattle farming project in the Northwest, this is just to give an indication if you want to start farming with 400 cattle, what, what the, the cost will be. Uh, startup costs for a cattle farm 2.9 million, capital required for cattle 6.8 million. So we've already started with a course in February, an accredited course. Uh, this was funded by the Patrice Mozepe Foundation. They got certificates. They did some practical training. Uh, in Marival, we've identified land there uh, where we want to... Uh, where we've started with uh, vegetable farming for our reserve force members to train them in that. This was in December last year. There was a visit by the MEC for social development in Gauteng. Uh, then we've started erecting some tunnels there in conjunction with the Gauteng provincial government and members, reserve force members are going to start getting training on how to do that. Uh, so community members in the area is also involved. We need to sign an MOU and there's a need to be a steering committee. Now, in terms of the way forward, uh, to further engage with the Department of Agriculture and Rural Development, uh, the second bullet to link up SMMEs and small-scale emerging farmers with the commercialized measures of the Army and the Air Force, to enter into agreements with appropriate organizations, and to operationalize the concept of a military agri-village. To accelerate the rollout of the production brigade in certain provinces after we've done the feasibility studies, to expand the utilization of the regional offices of chief defense reserves as nodal points to coordinate and facilitate Kobatlala production brigade activities and to expand this also to other services and divisions, the Air Force and the Navy. And then in the last slide, to expand the reskilling of reserves and regulars uh, with Sasieta money to facilitate targeted training to reserve force members earmarked to be taken up in the Mzanzi Home Guard and to provide sustained training to support the to be established um, Zanzi Home Guard. Chairperson, thank you. Uh, thank you very much, um, uh, General. Uh, colleagues, uh, these are the <clears throat> this is the item. Uh, see, um, the first time uh, the committee interacted uh, with uh, uh, this Kubatala program uh, was in Cape Town, a country member who made the presentation to members. And I walked away with an impression, uh, the members are here, they will bear me out, with the impression that um, the Cooper Kala was a program mainly um, to ensure uh, food security for, for our soldiers. It's food safety first. And uh, you buy food from all over, um, and, uh, and 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 in the process, exposing yourself uh, to um, uh, what could be, um, let's say, if someone wanted uh, to to uh, you know do something bad bad to our soldiers. And uh, yet, if you had grown your own things, uh, one, you'll save money, two, you'll ensure food, food safety, and uh, uh, three, there will be food security for, for own soldiers. And uh, I never thought that the idea or the central, manage, the central message of the program was to stimulate uh, the, the rural uh, economies 
um, by ensuring that they, they you you buy you you procure uh, locally. Uh, so, but now I, uh, the central message appears to be local procurement, and um, because you want to contribute uh, to the developmental and social agenda of, of government. Um, I don't know, but members uh, will, will, will engage. Honourable uh, members, uh, let's hear uh, what you have to say on this. Um, I, I still cannot see who has this end. Mr. Marais end is up, and then, and then the next end. Mafanya's end is up. Mafanya's end. And Mr. Mutley and Chilembe. Mutle and Shalembe. Thank you so much. So I'll take you in that order, colleagues, Maria, Mafanya, Mutle and Shalembe. Uh, let's start with you, Mr. Maria. Thank you. Uh, it was good to be of service to you, Chairperson. Um, General Comfer, thank you very much um, for your presentation. Um, I know that you've been given this task of Kubatlala, and I think there's a lot of enthusiasm that we, ex that we hear from you. Uh, and every time. So I don't think there's an, uh, a shortage of enthusiasm and ideas that you've got. My big concern is uh, you've given the indication that your budget is basically 3.8 million plus uh, 4.3 that you got from Sasita. So you're talking about, you know, about 8, 8 million um, that you are working with. And there's an enormous lot that you want to achieve and especially moving towards, uh, you know, the production brigade. Um, I don't know if the idea is that this is just a name production brigade, because, you know, to operate a brigade and establish a brigade uh, in terms of, I think, what we understand a brigade to be, brigade is about, you know, two and a half, two, two, just over 2,000 men or, or, or persons, to, to, to four or just over 4,000, depends on, 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 on the, the substructures and, and how, you, how you structure that. So I'm, I'm, I'm a bit concerned in terms of your ideas that you've got um, and uh, how much that will cost, um, because you can't do that with, with just 8 million or, or some more Sasita money or even uh, some other donations like the, the Motsepi Foundation and others. I'm just a bit concerned that this is overstretching or overreaching in terms of, of the objectives. You know, where will you get the others from? You're talking about training and reskilling reserve force members. You're talking about, at one stage, referring to 11,223 reserve force members to, to involve. Now, I mean, you, you and I know that the cost of employees is the major cost factor in the, in the uh, Department of Defense. Uh, and and 11,000 reserve force members to utilize them, you know, it sounds wonderful. And I mean, that must be encouraged. But how will you pay for that? Um, uh, the other question is, you know, will you also look at military veterans that who are not um, reserve force members? Um, you know, because we sit with an enormous challenge with, with uh, military veterans who are impoverished and who are 
are, are, are you know, there's a food, food scarcity with, among them, and they are very, very poor, many of them, and is not in a, in a good, um, you know, living condition. Then initially, you also mentioned that, you know, it is the objective on rural. Now, we know that the rural economy is not as, as big as you will find in the urban areas, in the metro areas. Um, so is, is this idea that it must only be a rural thing? Uh, but then you mentioned about the, the Air Force and the Navy and, you know, the Army and all that. And, and we know that the biggest messes are, are not in the rural area, but probably in your, in your metro centers. So, so how, will you, how will you, you know, integrate all of that? Um, yeah, I mean, my, 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 my concern is, you know, this idea of working towards a brigade and, and how you will be established Getting to that, the last question that I've just got is, is it only on agri and agri-processing products that you are working with? In other words, where people work on, on, the, on the land or, um, you know, will this bakeries also be part of uh, Kubotala? Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr. Mafanya. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, you know, I'm much more confused than before, taking into consideration that uh, we had a presentation and it differs completely with what we are getting today. Now, my concern is that uh, we are in a, in a country where unemployment is very high. Almost 10 million people are not working, let alone our reserve force that are sitting at home. Uh, we, we have just uh, laid some, some, num some significant number of them they are sitting at home. And, and when we listen to that now, it seems as though now we are taking the Department of Agriculture and Land Affairs role as, as, as the department. Now, when coming to Operation Kubata, the question in whose land are you going to operate from? If it is the, 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 the department's land, then we can start to begin to, to talk from there. Then the minute we talk about cattle farming, then we have to look about the, you know, uh, the spin-offs thereof, what is it that we intend to do? Because now, looking at the, the minute I talk about the number of people that are employed, it means there is, a, there is hunger, there is poverty, the poverty level are so high that our people out there are equally suffering as a result of unemployment. Now, taking all this grand scheme, all the beautiful things that we are saying, my expectation that considering what is happening in Ukraine now, we are going to run short of food, we are going to run grain, we are going to run short of oil, we are going to run short of uh, fertilizers. Uh, that is where your department has got to fit in to say now, because the country is going to be faced with a crisis, how are we going to augment the shortage that is coming within months where the whole country will be suffering as a result of those things? Now, that, that, that's also my concern, to say now, if you do not have sufficient land to operate on, on whose land are we going to lease land to have all these grand things that we are talking about? And the answer to that, already communities are also are in the same market that you are, you are talking about. Now, looking at other areas where you say you want to localize and then the farmers, uh, they, they must look at the SANDF, as a client to, to, to buy from. Whereas at the same time, we say, no, we want to procure from our own. 
because there is already a 100 million rand that is spent on feeding our soldiers. Now, the best part was to say, now looking at our capabilities, how do we reduce the cost of us saving our own people without even considering other sectors outside of, of the SANDR? Thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Mr. Mutla. Yeah, th thank you, Chair. Uh, let let me start by appreciating the the presentation and uh, the initiative to ensure that uh, uh, capabilities being built within the defense force to produce its own uh, 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 product that the the they consume, but my 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 question is around uh, uh, the capabilities of uh, the health uh, dietitians. Uh, is the kobatala or the uh, production brigade uh, taking into consideration uh, the fact that uh, uh, dietitians have a role to play to ensure that uh, whatever produce they produce as they will be consumed by soldiers are of a particular standard as prescribed uh, by the dietitians uh, uh, to suit the standard that is acceptable for, for soldiers to consume. Uh, this is important. If you recall, we once went to, in fact, we had several debates with regard to the renovation that are taking place in, in uh, two mil, I think the military hospital in hospital, where construction was uh, was taken. And at the later stage, they then realized that uh, there was a need to consult a a medical tech, technician or something like that who was supposed to advise in terms of the machineries that were going to be placed in one floor or one unit and they could not go through or something of that nature. Therefore, the implementation of this particular program or project, uh, if it's not done taking along your dietitians or your medical uh, uh, practitioners that uh, determine the standard and the quality of uh, food that uh, soldiers uh, uh, must con consume, it might end up being a challenge because uh, you don't farm for the sake of uh, farming. You may produce spinach, but there's a certain... There are different grades of spinach, for an example, that are produced. Even with cattle farming, uh, there are different grades of meat that are, are produced out of that uh, 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 system. So it's very important that uh, you take along uh, 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 some of those expertise so that you don't invest in something that you'll end up not uh, uh, using and it will be a challenge at the end of the day. I just want to get uh, from them if if that is been taken into consideration 
they are working hand in glove with uh, uh, the dietitian to ensure to mitigate any other risk that may uh, uh, occur in future. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Me as well, Chair. Oh, and okay, Shelebe, Mr. Raider. Shelebe. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Well, uh, I had an understanding that, I mean, uh, that a project of Alcubatala is not, I mean, intended uh, only to take care of, I mean, uh, the soldiers. But I was of the view that um, it is also intended to contribute uh, towards, I mean, um, the economic growth of the country. Also, I mean, at the same time, transferring of skills, I mean, uh, to some people that um, are producing. For instance, Chairperson, there are, I mean, a number of farms or a number of lands that has been purchased by the government uh, for people. And some of those uh, farms were producing um, a lot. I mean, and it was not only about uh, the, the people in the area, but it was also like sort of exporting those uh, products. Now, Jefferson, it's a good, I mean, uh, thing, but uh, my question is, what is it that is being done to ensure that, I mean, uh, such, I mean, uh, information, you know, is also, I mean, uh, cascaded to, I mean, a number of municipalities. For instance, if you go to municipalities, some are composed of mostly deep rural areas. Now, if, I mean, if uh, they can be sort of, I mean, uh, these, I mean, uh, I mean, a program from the SNTF worked together with those uh, people who are in rural areas producing. Like uh, Chairperson, if you look, so, say, Inumzinyat, uh, Inumzinga, you know, Inumzinga, I mean, uh, the, the women are, are the main people who are bringing bread on the table. There are no factories. They are planting. But now, imagine now, if that sort of, I mean, uh, I mean, um, project had to engage them that is going to help I mean not only I mean uh, the soldiers also those women I mean in those rural areas when these projects are run they sort of I mean transferring skills while they are training I mean uh, capacitating the, the the soldiers at the same time those people who have those farms are capacitated number of farms uh, for instance in women they were producing number of oranges but the farms were given to the people they were left without any skills to run. Now there's nothing happening there. Imagine now if I mean I mean such I mean a project like we have the army in Ladies Meet close I mean to women. So if say I mean uh, that project Kobaltala is not only about I mean at feeding uh, the soldiers, but like if I'm ha- I'm having a garden, I must extend my garden, say feed my family at the same time, help those I mean who do not have I mean say a piece of land to buy from. I think, Chairperson, uh, if that can be a sort of engaging, like uh, municipalities where you have like the IGP steering committee, where you have got all the departments. I've noticed that in number of, I mean, uh, steering committees on IGP budget, you don't find, I mean, SNDF getting involved. So um, I'm of the of view that 
what if maybe they also consider, I mean, extending not only to say the soldiers, but having those uh, lands that have been purchased by the government not do anything, utilize them with those communities, at the same time contribute, I mean, uh, to the to fighting the, I mean, uh, the, the itala, as we are saying. I didn't get well a chairperson when they say they are now like changing or tra- changing from Kobatala to production brigade. I, I didn't get well. What is uh, the main objective? What is uh, the reason behind changing from Kobatala to production uh, brigade? So I think, Chairperson, uh, I don't have that much, but my concern is that uh, the issue of stake and stakeholder engagement, whether, I mean, a number of municipalities are, are, are aware of that, I mean, uh, that there is such a project, I mean, uh, in the Department of uh, Defense. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, thank you. Interesting. Uh, Mr. Raider. Yeah, thank you very much, Chair. I'll be very brief. Uh, it's just a question. Uh, perhaps more to you than to 27720. Um, Chair, the, the question is, does this really fit in the mandate of the Joint Standing Committee on Defence? Uh, we are not an extension of the uh, Portfolio Committee on Defence. I'm not sure how this fits in our mandate. Uh, so noting the presentation, um, I, I just don't see why it's here. Thank you, Chair. Okay. All right. Colleagues, um we we now I now invite the the generals uh, to help with the responses. Chairperson, thank you. Can, can I start? Uh, that's General Kamfai. Yes. Okay. Can I start, sir? Yes. Is, is it possible to set your video on General? But if you think it will affect your. Um, your your network, then I will understand. You want me to? To set your video on. Video. Yes, I've put it on. All right. So thank you. Uh, in terms of the uh, first uh, question by Mr. Marais, this is not a typical military brigade. You know, the word uh, production brigade is actually very misleading. You know, it's more in the sense of almost like a a fire brigade, if I can call it that. So this is not a military brigade with a typical military structure. Military, the meaning of military brigade, and I did not have time to go into all the definitions, is where you actually uh, group together uh, workers which will produce something, whether it is clothing, whether it is... uh, cattle, whether it is maize, etc. So in that sense, <clears throat> it is not a typical uh, military brigade. And we will not only attend to the uh, rural areas, uh, not, we will also attend uh, to the, the urban areas to see if we can make a difference there and the semi-urban uh, uh, areas. At this stage, the bakeries are not part of the uh, production brigade. We will see when we do the feasibility studies uh, what that will show us if we must include things like the uh, bakeries. Uh, Mr. Mafania, <clears throat> we are not uh, trying to take over the, uh, the work of the Department of, of Agriculture. That's why uh, we do not want to deviate from the core business of the uh, Defense Force. 
Uh, that's why we are saying we are working in conjunction with the Department of Agriculture. We are also working in conjunction with the various departments of agriculture of the provincial governments, because they have already programs in place for these small-scale and emerging farmers. And we want to align what we're doing with them so that we can support them. Uh, then, Mr. Mutley, uh, uh, I agree that uh, we are busy. We are taking in consideration the fact that uh, we are busy building a capability to support the sustainment of the defense source. And uh, the feasibility studies will show to us what will be possible and what will not be possible. <clears throat> Yes, the health department, uh, the military health units will be will be involved uh, in all these uh, uh, units. And at the moment, even if we buy from small-scale emerging farmers, we send out our health officials to see where the meat is coming from, whether it's up to standard, etc. So that one uh, we will definitely also include in our plans. We also have vets uh, available in the Defence Force as part of the military health services. Then, Mr. Shalembe, uh, this program is not only to take care of only uh, the soldiers. Um, it is also to take care of uh, developmental initiatives in, in the rural areas to see how we can support there without deviating from our core business. Because we have to buy food so let's rather than buy from these small-scale and emerging farmers, which can produce up to standard food for us, and then support uh, government in, in, in that uh, regard. Um, you also asked the question, shouldn't we consider extending this? Uh, if you talk about Msinga in uh, KwaZulu-Natal, uh, next to the Tugela River, the Department of Agriculture took me there and they already have programs in place, you're 100% right, uh, if we talk about the same area. And the units in KZN are now encouraged to buy from that Msinga packhouse. They've got a huge packhouse there in Msinga next to the Tugela River. So we really want to engage also communities uh, to, to buy from them. I'm not sure whether I've answered all the questions, Chairperson, and if General uh, Rama. Uh, Ramatswana would also like to, to come in. Thank you. Yes, no, thank you so much. Uh, General, is uh, Ramatswana, is any addition? Chair, no, not at this stage. I think all has been covered very well by General Kamfa. Thank you so much, sir. Yes. I'm not too sure if the question of uh, the, 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 the main purpose of um, creating uh, or introducing the uh, production uh, brigade was, um, you know, answered. Uh, we understand you using your buying power, your buying capacity to stimulate the local economic development, buying from, uh, uh, you know, the procuring, procuring uh, locally. And, um, but the production brigades exactly uh, what, what is their central role in the whole thing? Uh, I thought that was the main question. Chairperson, I think uh, the way we must look at this is that the MCC 
Safety and the Chief of the Defence Force would like the Defence Force to become more self-sustainable in terms of certain things, uh, commodities that we buy, and then also clothing, etc. But we will retain certain elements of Kobatlala within this uh, production brigade. So the whole idea is to see how the Defence Force can become more independent, more self-sustainable in terms of various commodities uh, that we buy. It's not possible to buy, to produce food for the value of 900 million ourselves. That's totally impossible. So we're going to do feasibility studies and see in which areas can the Defence Force become more self-sustainable. If you've answered that one, um, thank you so much, colleagues. Uh, I, I think we 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 it's safe now to to. Uh, I don't know if there is any comment from the sector or, or the minister in the, in this regard. I think the the whole program has been unpacked uh, to to the members uh, of of the committee, and um, uh, both uh, uh, the, the benefit to the soldiers themselves and uh, to the communities uh, in, in general and the extent um, uh, to which it contributes to the developmental uh, agenda of, of the whole state. So I don't know, uh, Sekdef, if you want to add anything. I'll make I a... am covered, Chairperson. I think that the, the presentation itself was very detailed. I don't have any additions to make. Thank you so much. Uh, Minister? Chair, I'm covered and I'm about to go into load shedding. So if I disappear, oh, don't be surprised. Okay, sure. Thanks, uh, Minister, for alerting us. All right, colleagues, um, I think it's safe now to thank um, the, the presenter uh, for... You're muted, Chair. Thanks. Uh, we, I think it remains for us now to thank the presenters for the presentation and wish them well as they roll the program out. And uh, of course, we'll interact with them uh, sometime, I think, uh, later when the whole thing is uh, started to uh, you know, show some uh, results. So with that, I thank them. We can then move off to the next uh, item and uh, which will be presented by um, uh, I think it's General Miyabo. The Miyabo. Thank you so much. Miyabo, yes. Thank you. Right. Thank you so much. Uh, General, uh, is the presentation on the Reserve Force, Reserve Force Council and, uh, and related uh, matters, as it were. to the Minister of Defence and Military Veterans, Secretary of Defence, the Chairperson and members of the committee. I'm Brigadier General Zolegani Abomana. I'll be presenting matters of the Reserves and Reserve Force Council. Is my presentation visible, sir? Yes, uh, it is.
This is the aim of my presentation to present to the committee matters of the reserves and the reserve force council as per the guidelines that I received from the committee. And this is the content of my presentation. In this slide, so I would like to start off by showing you how the number of reserves have decreased over the years since 2020 up until this year, even though the commitment that the reserves are supposed to assist the regular force members with have increased. And this is the total number of reserves that we have currently. And this is the strength of the reserves that we've had since 2020 up until this financial year. And one of the questions was whether the reserves were involved as part of Operation Chariot in KZN and the answer is yes. And that is the number of reserves that are forming part of that operation. And the indications are that with global warming, we might be expected to participate in more operations that deal with natural disasters, even with the decreased number of reserves. This slide gives an update to the things that we presented in March to the committee. We presented on the Reserve Force Council. The presentation was made to the Minister of Defense regarding the Reserve Force Council. Currently, the minister is still applying her mind as to what the future of the council will be. So the status quo with the council still remains. Chief Defense Reserves also has not been appointed. So I'm still acting Chief Defense Reserves. There is a planned Reserve Force in Daba that was initially meant to be constituted by the Reserve Force Council. There are discussions as to when that in Daba will take place so that the minister can as well be better informed about the matters of the council. And then there was a question on border management authority. Currently, there is no confirmed cooperation between the department and the BMA. They requested reserve force members, but the decision of the military command council was that we cannot call up reserve and second them to the border management authority. However, if they have permanent posts, we can provide reserve force members that they can employ permanently. The impact of the reduced mandates on the utilization of the reserves in the department is that it adversely affects the continuation training that the reserve force members are meant to go through because now the services are struggling with balancing utilization and training, and this might in the long run have adverse impact on the operations as well. The status of the call-up committees that was recommended by the ministerial task team on sexual abuse and exploitation instruction was written to the services to constitute these call-up committees so that the call-up of the reserves is not left to individuals. So we are monitoring, we are monitoring this. The, the, the services have constituted the call-up committees. This is a strand of the reserves that are participating in Op Chariot in KZN, 154, as already stated in the previous slide. And this uh, concludes my presentation. The services and division are actively managing the limitation on the main days. This they are doing by transferring some of the reserve first members that meet the requirements of the vacancies that the department has. For instance, the Army has translated 102 reserve force members into regular 
force members and the Air Force translated 42. So this will leave them with more mandates to utilize for the reserve force that they have in their strength. This brings my presentation to an end. Thank you. I'm now open to questions and discussions. Thank you very much, General, for this brief presentation. Colleagues, the matter is on the table. Are there any comments or questions? And um, please shout. Yes, sir. It's Tabo, Tabo Mutle, and then? Myself, sir. And Mr. Madeleine. And Ryder, please. And Ryder. All right, so there's these three colleagues. All right, uh, please, in that order, Tabo, uh, Mutle, and then Mr. Madeleine and Ryder. Well, th thanks, Chair. Uh, uh, let me also welcome this uh, presentation. It was uh, short and uh, precise. Is it possible uh, to set the video on? I'm in the dark. Uh, oh, I see. I see. I'm in the dark. Uh, even if I switch on, uh, it's problematic. And you will not be able to see you. Yeah, I'll just switch it off. I don't. Uh, uh, Chair, yeah, I was just appreciating the presentation, but there's one one uh, point that was raised in the presentation, and I think uh, I'll take uh, advantage of the fact that uh, uh, the minister is in the on the platform uh, just to to take us into confidence. What is the headache or what are the the predicament in terms of uh, appointing the 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 what do they call it the the reserve post uh, commission in this regard because uh, uh, it has been there it's no longer there the reserve force is uh, now operating without the 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 commission uh, as set out in the in the act, what is uh, what what are the delays there, or what are what is the minister still looking at? Thank you very much. If we can get that from from her, uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Rader. Okay, thank you very much. I think Marie was after after Mutle, but I managed to short. Yes, yes, uh, just, yes. Uh, uh, Mr. Murray, my apologies, uh, Mr. Murray. Uh, uh, no, uh, Mr. Ryder can go ahead. Uh, no problem. I can follow it. Okay. We're all being extremely polite tonight. How unusual. <laughs> Thank you, uh, <laughs> Chair. Thank you, Mr. Murray. Yeah, just a quick question to the Brigadier General is that uh, uh, when the Reserve Force was deployed uh, under Operation Chariot, were they adequately equipped? Um, or were we, we again reaching, and I quote from the last deployment, into the back of the cupboard uh, to equip them? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Marlon. Uh, thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, uh, uh, General, for the presentation. Um, a few questions of mine. Um, you've talked, you've referred to, to call-up uh, committees or call-up structures. 
Um, what is the situation that happened last year um, after the, the whole insurrection um, in KZN and those uh, um, people were called up to um, to the Eastern Cape, I think it was 14 side, um, to be um, taken up into the reserve force to be um, deployed um, in this whole process of operation uh, of, of the operation in Natal and yeah. Eastern Cape and, and Gauteng. What happened there? What is the progress? And and how did that happen? That that is so a, a fiasco at this stage. Um, the second one I want to just ask you: um, the mandates have been reduced to 1.9 million mandates uh, for the for the current year and going forward. How will that affect the um, the, the the SA Reserve Force? Um, because we have been reliant on the the reserve force for basically all our operations, whether it is Corona, whether it's Mistral, um, whether it's now in in uh, in in, uh, in Mozambique um, or, or or Chariot or any of the operations, we know that we cannot do it with with regular force. So how does that affect that and and the whole planning in the, in that regard? And then lastly, uh, I don't know if this was what. Um, uh, Honorable Mutley was also referring to in that the appointment of the um, Reserve Force Council. First of all, you know, how far is this? Why is it taking so long? Uh, because the Reserve Force Council is supposed to play a very critical and major role in the whole structure and, uh, and, and you know, the, the role and the activities of the Reserve Force. And then maybe lastly, this is maybe to the to the minister rather than than to you, general, and that is the appointment of the chief of the SA reserves. Um, what is the progress? And uh, you know, we are now nearly a year. At the end of this month, we will be a full twelve months without a full time appointed um, chief of the SA reserve force. What is going on, and, and when can we? Uh, expect any um, results in this regard. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Colleagues, any other uh, question or comment? Okay. Uh, none. All right. Thank, thank you very much, uh, colleagues, for the comments uh, and questions. Colleagues, I now invite um, the general uh, to field the answers or responses. Thank you, sir. Question from Mr. Ryder. If uh, the Reserve Force members deployed on Operation Chariot were adequately equipped, there is still an ongoing operation. So a report will come from joint operation as to whether all the members, including regulars and reserves, were adequately equipped. So I cannot, I don't have that information currently, so I, I can't really accurately respond on that. And the second one from Mr. Murray, the outcome of those reserves that were called up at Mzimvubu, there was a board of inquiry instituted by Chief Army, Major General Ramajwana. I, I think he can provide a response to that because when we responded to the initial parliamentary question regarding that matter, I discussed the response with him, so I, I know that General Ramazana will have 
information on that. And the third one, how does reduced mandates affect operations? What eventually happens is that we end up overspending on the mandates because now there were 2.6 million already. That was the problem because Chief Joint Operation has said it in the past that even though Reserve Force members constitute 40% of people that are deployed in Operation Corona, there are still vacancies that he would like to fill in with reserves, but he does not have sufficient mandates. So what happens is that, as you've already said, that reserves are forming part of all our operations from Ops Notella. And now we have a company of reserves in Mozambique as well. There is no single operation in the department that we've conducted without uh, using reserves and their role as force multiplier. So we end up overspending in the main days. So the situation will be worse now that they've been reduced by 25%. <clears throat> I think those are the questions that I took note of, sir. Yes. Okay. And then <clears throat> the two questions that uh, are directed to, to the minister is the appointment of the Reserve Force Council. Um, as well as the appointment of the chief of the of the South African uh, Reserve Force. Let's hope the minister has not been kicked out uh, by the system. In which case, um, I would ask the secretary if she knows anything about uh, this uh, item or I these items. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. On the issue of the Reserve Force Council, uh, let me say that the mandate of the Reserve Force Council lapsed at the end of November last year. Now, the Reserve Force Council is only appointed by the minister, and uh, the, the mandate was not renewed. Uh, in the last uh, Council on Defence that we had, the minister expressed that she wanted to meet the council uh, members so that they can uh, then have a chat. And then uh, she also had the opportunity to look at the, uh, the constitution of the reverse reserve force council. And there were some issues that she felt that uh, she needed um, and to talk with uh, them about. Now, um, the minister also did express that uh, uh, once she has had that interaction with the members of the former council, then she can determine the way forward, whether it is to appoint a new uh, council or then probably uh, review some of the things maybe in their constitution and stuff like that. But uh, uh, as we all know, the mandate of uh, the Reserve Force Council and its establishment uh, comes from the 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 the, the, uh, the, the defense. Uh, Act. So the minister will look at all those. And I think that the idea is that once she has had that interaction, because remember that for the better time when the council uh, operated, she was not yet in the department. So she wants to look at those things and then take an informed decision as to how she needs um, uh, to proceed uh, in terms of looking at the matter of the council. So at this point in time, we, 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 we do not uh, have that. Um, uh, we, we do not have a council in place. Then, of course, there was the, the question, I think General Niabo responded to, 
But it is also, Chairperson, if you recall the issue of the 1.9 million men days, how we arrived at that. We were always at 2.6, but because then the committee had expressed um, anxieties about one item where we were overspending as a department, and that was around the compensation of employees. We were then tasked as a department to say, come back to us as a committee and tell us how you intend dealing with the over-expenditure on the compensation of employees. And there were a number of things that we looked at, including the freezing of the allowance, including the reduction of the mandates, including the issues of a um, doing uh, the MSDS intake once every two years. But now, Chairperson, one of the things we are saying is that it is one of that situation where you doomed if you do and you doomed if you don't. Because in as much as we reduce them, actually the year that just ended uh, at the end of uh, March, we were at 2.7 million men days. And part of that is that there are a lot of other activities that the the military has to perform, and that are not um, areas that we could have foreseen at the time where we come up with our APP. But there are things that we have to react to on the basis of the tasks that are given to the department. So in as much as there was that reduction, yes, of course, it was going to be very difficult, but um, it it just does show that it's a little bit difficult to really uh, deal with that. So um, on the other hand, it will slow the process of them dealing with that over-expenditure. And then I, I just thought that uh, we needed to um, implement that, that in as much as we had agreed on 1.9, um, still the figures have gone back to 2.6, 2.7, which what was at the time, simply because of the taskings that were given. Thank you, Chair. And then on the issue of the appointment to replace uh, General Anderson, the process is that the chief of the SANDF will look at the matter, bounce it with the, the executive authority, and then they would arrive at a decision as to who is put in that position. So it is the uh, the, the, the process that is in the hands of the chief of the SANDF. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much. Colleagues, um, a follow-up? Follow-up from me, please, Chair, if I may. Yes, Mr. Rader. Thank you very much, Chair. Chair, I, I, I note that uh, the General wasn't able to answer my question and, and I, I guess that's possibly partly understandable. Um, I do note from the attendance register, though, that uh, Mr. Ian Robertson from the Defence Force Service Commission uh, has joined the meeting this evening. Uh, I'm not sure if he was lonely on a Thursday evening or if he has something to add. And, and, and perhaps it would be opportune, Chair, with your permission, if we could invite him to comment uh, uh, on my question or, uh, or find out why he's here, perhaps. Thank you, Chair. Well, no, I, I, I don't think uh, that's the approach we are following. We raise questions and um, we ask members of the department uh, to respond to them. And if there is any other person with an interest in the matter, will raise his or her hand and Upon that, uh, he or she will then be recognised uh, and would allow to would be allowed to, to talk. So, uh, 
So this is an open meeting and we invite, uh, we send, uh, we, we publicize them that whoever has an interest on any matter that is in, would be discussed is free to attend. Uh, I don't think it's correct to put him on the spot unless he wants to say something and I will not stop him from saying it. All right. So colleagues, I think we have concluded the discussion on, on, on the matter. Sector, uh, I think we, we it's 12 months since uh, that office of the chief has been vacant. Is that true? And if it is so, um, it has taken too long to fill the, the, the position. And, uh, and two, the Reserve Force Council, we must determine uh, if it is adding any value to, to the process. My, my initial view um, was that uh, I don't see them really to be adding any value. And uh, maybe uh, it was uh, adding value at the beginning, uh, but now it's uh, so many years later since um, it was conceptualized. I think it's high time we will review it. As a people, Solani, please switch off your, your, your mic. I think it's high time we, we, we review, check if there's any value add that um, they are making in the whole thing. The chief of the SA Reserve Force uh, reports to the, is appointed by the chief of the South African uh, Defense Force. And um, like, so, uh, he, he sits on the Council of uh, CODs. I'm not too sure if it's appointed by the by by the Chief of the Southern Defence Force uh, or by the premier, by the President, but at least he's appointed at that level. He sits on the Council of of the on the COD, and uh, and then I don't see any role uh, for the Reserve Force Council in that chain of, uh, in that line of command. But uh, we'll hear when the minister has had the meeting with them, whether he still wants to appoint them. If he, she no longer wants to appoint them, obviously we'll have to review the law to then, um, you know, get rid of it or replace it with some other body or give it, give, it, give it more some more powers or teeth, whatever it is. But we'll hear when the minister comes back. Colleagues, on that note, I think it's time we 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 thank the the minister. Yes, sir. So, Ramon, uh, maybe on the point that you are raising, that uh, uh, upon minister taking a decision on the service uh, uh, reserve force service commission, currently, what does the law says? And do you do you do you go and amend the law while the, there's a gap or, or what, what, is, what should happen? Because if the act currently says the minister must appoint, uh, you, you don't say after the lapse of uh, a particular commission, when there's a lull, you start a process. I think the correct way of running that process is when the service commission is there as guided by the law, 
And then if there is no need for them to be there, you start the process whilst they are there. And by the time they lapse, we shall have, you know, the, the process of uh, amending uh, the act. It's not a an overnight process. It's a process that takes time. And are we saying uh, there should just be a lull like that and undermine what the, the, the legislation is saying? Thank you. Yes, yes, you are making a point. Uh, they say that when the minister comes back, uh, I think the, 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 the executive is taking note of what you are saying. Um, no, it's a, it's a good uh, intervention. Um, executive, any uh, comment before we close the meeting? No, Chairperson, um, I think that we'll, we'll take the message to both the Minister, sorry, and the Chief of the SANDF. As far as I'm aware, uh, the, 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 the Chief of the Defence Reserves is, is uh, proposed by the Chief to the Minister before the appointment happens. And then uh, I take the point that has been raised by Honourable Muka, and as you say, Chairperson, and um, uh, these are some of the issues the minister wants to look at to say, was there any value added really by the defense, uh, the defense reserve council? And if uh, it is felt that, uh, yes, there is some value, then a particular process will be undertaken in the event that it's decided that they are not adding value, then we know that they were established as per the defense act. So it means then that will actually culminate in the review of the act but at this point probably it's still premature to talk about it until the minister has had that interaction and will carry the message to a person thank you okay thanks uh, the other question that Tabo raised or asked it's um what are the functions um, of the reserve force council there are two only two um i'm reading the act now um <clears throat> It's that it the council is a consultate is a consultative consultative and advisory body representing the reserve force in order to promote and maintain that force as an integral part of the defense force and must be consulted on any legislation policy administrative measures affecting or administrative measures affecting the, the reserve force. Um, and then two, the minister, the secretary for defense and the chief of the defense force may commission the council to execute any task of program or to investigate any matter pertaining to the reserve force or its interest. Um, basically, those are the, uh, the functions uh, given to, to, the, to the party. Um, uh, my view is that it was not well thought out, but anyway, we'll hear when they have to present when you come back to do a presentation. All right, Chair. Yes, sir. Um, I don't want to have a dialogue with you, Chair. My apology. Uh, uh, can can we have a time frame? Because uh, my my worry is one: if the commission has lapsed last year, November. Very soon it will be another November, uh, November 2022, uh, and we are not sure of the schedule of the minister. It might 
I don't know what's keeping her. It's unfortunate that she's not in the meeting to say, to confirm to us when will she meet uh, uh, the former uh, uh, members of the, the commission. It might take forever if we don't put timelines to it. Therefore, I suggest that uh, we we put timelines so that the minister can go and meet with them as soon as possible and come back and report to us. I second that. I second the uh, honorable Thank you so much. All right. So, uh, Sektev, uh, now is in, is, we're in May, uh, June, and we will go on recess until, we, until when? Can we deal with it in the, in the third quarter so that we give you sufficient time to do your consultation? Are, are you okay? Um, we will, we will, yes, we will. We will convey the message, and then I, we hope that we'll, we'll uh, uh, give you the feedback once the meeting takes place. Yeah, on two positions is is the reserve force council as well as the chief. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, okay. Chief of, so, of the reserve. Correct. Yeah, and uh, so we we'll give you until we uh, the that we come back in the third quarter, right? Yes, thank you, Chair. Thank you so much. All right, colleagues, I think we can then end this meeting on this note. Let me thank, oh, the minutes. Um, I'm sorry. So, Sektev and the team, thank you very much. You are free to uh, leave the platform. And the thank you very much, Chair. To our, to our minutes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thanks. All right. Um, uh, Nandipa, can you fly to the minutes? How many sets? Is this the only set, I guess? Yes, Chair, this is the only set. Okay. Colleagues, uh, minutes of the 12th of May, 2020. Uh, right, this is the attendance register. Right, take it to the end and, right, go to page two. If there are any corrections, uh, page three, page four, page five. Colleagues, I present the, the minutes. Um, if uh, accepted, um, I would need the mover and the seconder. Chair, okay, I move for adoption of the minutes. Mr. Raider moves for adoption. Seconded, Chair. Table Mutler seconds. Uh, the minutes are adopted uh, as, to, uh, as the true record of what. Chairperson? Yes, Chairperson, can I, can I just ask in terms of a question uh, on the. Um, on that uh, UN Peacekeepers Day in Bloemfontein, um, uh, have you been able to identify anybody that will um, oh, yes. attend yes. on our behalf? Yes, we, we have. Um, there are three colleagues uh, who will be um, uh, the, uh, attending, um, but I've, I've since uh, uh, put in an application. Um, for them to attend is Honorable Tabo Mutle, who would lead the delegation on my behalf. Uh, it's uh, Mr. Raider and uh, Mr. 
Motomai. So those are the three uh, colleagues. So they will hear from us as soon as we get the response from the House Chair. Can, can I just make a, um, um, a, a request to them that they must please behave us because behave them because they must remember they represent us. So there's just tongue in the cheek, but thank you very much, much appreciated to them. <laughs> Okay, so that was a jest. Colleagues, uh, thank you very much. Uh, the meeting stands adjourned. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. <laughs>